This morning, our scripture comes from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. I'll be reading from the 17th chapter, the 7th and the 8th verses. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. They shall be like a tree planted by water, sending out its roots by the stream. It shall not fear when the heat comes, and its leaves shall stay green. In the year of drought, it is not anxious, and it does not cease to bear fruit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, this morning may the words of my mouth, indeed may the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be able to tell, based on the tree that's growing out by the windows um, in the commons, by the tree, and here by the screen, that we have entered into a new sermon series, (laughs) and it's about trees. Um, The title of the series is Consider the Tree Growing Strong in the Faith, Um, and it's going to be a time for us to look at the metaphor of a tree as, as the way that we look at our own growth in the Lord, and then specifically how we pass that on to the generations that will follow us. Um, And so I invite you to be present for every week because it's going to be, I think, just a great series as we we take seriously not only our own uh, spiritual growth, but those for the generations that come after us. Um, And I I just really love trees. I don't know about you, but when I look at a tree and want to ponder that, that that is just one of the most uh, great statements Um, that speak to me, uh, I don't know, about life and about renewal. I mean, you could go on and on with the whole tree metaphor, but also they're just really pretty. (laughs) And so I wanted to show you some pictures of some trees. Um, And so this is a a tree we caught at sunset at a friend's house outside of Edna in Texas, a great big old um, live oak, one of the ones that, you know, Pastor Joshua was talking about, how this one may look someday with the sunset behind it. Um, and then there's a couple of different uh, brands of, t- of trees that, that really are unique. And one are aspen groves. So a grove of aspen trees, you'll hear a lot more about that next week in the sermon. But a grove of aspen trees uh, reproduces underground. The whole grove will share its a root system. And so really you could look at a grove of aspen trees as one single organism with lots of trees around. It's really, uh, really interesting. Another one that grows really uniquely, I think, is called the banyan tree. I saw one of these in Florida uh, when I was there one year, and they grow by, they put out a big branch, and then you see they just drop roots directly from the branches of the tree. And I just, again, think that is such a really uh, unique kind of a way to grow, um, and to because all of that whole growth right there comes from a central um, trunk. Then, um, of course, you've got to think about the redwood trees, right? I, I went one year um, to, I think it's called Muir Forest outside of San Francisco. That's the most of the redwoods I've seen, they were, and they were huge. They were larger than any tree that I've seen, but it certainly is on my bucket list to get to go see the giant redwoods uh, further on up into California. But they're amazing at just how huge they grow. 
This past summer, we were in New Hampshire, and one of the hikes that we took one day is uh, down a gorge called the Flume. And as we walked along in that gorge, I knew by then that we would be doing this series on trees. And so, of course, I was fascinated by some different characteristics of the trees. And in this picture, that tree is growing on a rock, um, and it has found its way down into nourishment and across the rock, however it needed to get nourishment. And even more interesting, I thought, was this tree that is on top of a giant boulder, (laughs) and yet its roots found its way down into the earth in order to draw nourishment from that. Finally, as we were walking along, um, of course I had to do the, the trees planted by streams of water because I knew that would be part of this. And just looking at the lushness uh, of a forest when it is well watered um, as well. And so I invite you to send me your tree pictures. I know you have some favorite tree pictures. Send them to me. During the course of the series, we'll be trying to show other tree pictures, um, and we will all get to enjoy sort of the beauty of that during this series. Tree imagery is abundant in the Bible. When you look in the early part of Genesis, right there in the Garden of Eden, there are two famous trees. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of life. Um, And then, all the way at the end of the Bible in Revelation, the tree of life um, makes a comeback. It is in that, uh, it is in Revelation as well, at the time of the new heaven and the new earth, um, as a sign of God's presence and our living with him. Um, Tree imagery is everywhere in the Bible. It's seen as a place of shelter and of shade. Um, a sign of strength. You know, there's words about the cedars of Lebanon, the the real strength. It's a sign of fruitfulness. Uh, Jesus told lots of stories about fruitfulness and pointed to the trees around to to talk about that. And then who can uh, forget the trees, the olive trees, in the Garden of Gethsemane, under which Jesus knelt and prayed the night that he was arrested and betrayed And he prayed, Father, not my will, but thine. And then, of course, there is the tree upon which Jesus died, the cross. Certainly, the trees play a big importance in our own scriptures. But in Jeremiah, he uses trees to contrast what it is to have your trust deeply in God and your trust in what he calls mere mortals, in humans, in ourself. And, and the second of those, those who trust in self, in flesh, they're like shrubs in the desert. Um, and, tr- and those who put their trust in God are like trees planted by streams of water. I want to read the verses that came before the ones I read. So in 17 verses 5 and 6, six thus says the Lord, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength, whose hearts turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when relief comes. They shall live in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That is a powerful metaphor to see a shrub just shriveling up in the desert for those who trust in self or in humans, and turn their heart away from the Lord. And then again, those who trust in the Lord are like a tree planted by water, sending its roots out by the stream, not fearing when the heat comes, its leaves stay green, 
In the year of drought, it's not anxious, and it doesn't ever cease to bear fruit. You find this same imagery in Psalm 1. The, the words are a lot the same as they were in Jeremiah. But you see, it matters where you receive your nourishment from. It matters where your roots are put down and what it is they're drawing up. And, and it's sort of a gut check time. When you, when you think about your own life and you think about where you, you point to, where you draw your strength from, in what do you trust? Is it yourself? Do you, do you only go as far as only trusting what you yourself can do? Is it, is it another person? Or is it the Lord? It matters when the drought comes and when the season of dryness comes where you have put your trust. Does what you are trusting in ultimately turn you more toward God or away from God? Because those are really the two choices. You see, there are things that, that we can't control, and, and the year of drought, the dry times, the environmental things, those happen to both. The Scripture doesn't say, if your trust is in the Lord, nothing bad will ever happen to you. It doesn't say that. It says when the drought comes, when the heat comes, because they come into all of our lives. The difference is where you place your trust and whether or not you will still be able to thrive even in those. And, and that is especially then important as we look at passing the faith on to other people, helping those who come behind us also learn to plant their roots deeply um, in the living Lord so that as they go through their young lives, they will also be able to weather the storms that will be ahead of them as well. You know, there are some things in your life that you just really have no control over. Your DNA, your genetic makeup, you, you didn't get to control that. The, the family of origin that you were born into, you had no say in that. Where you were born, what country, what city, urban, rural, you had no say in any of those things. And they all have an impact on who you are um, as a person today. You don't have a lot of control over that. You don't always have control over those outside stressors, the outside environment, right? There's some things we do control, and, and so some things that happen in our lives are, are within our control. But there are some things, last Thursday, <laughs> we don't have control over those kind of things, and they will come into our lives. Here's what you can control. You can control in what or in whom you place your trust. And, and that's the piece of it you can control. And, and that's also the piece that you can help pass on to the generations that follow us, is where it is that they can place their trust. What is it, who is it, that is worth ultimate trust? That's the piece that you can control. The Scripture says, Cursed are those who trust in mere mortals and make mere flesh their strength and whose hearts turn away from the Lord. Because if you trust in mere mortals, that's you and I, if that's where you place your trust and that's where your ultimate sense of trust is, it will, in fact, turn you away from the Lord. You can't be facing one direction and still be rooted in the Lord. And and it's important that we develop this trust. 
I look back, and probably because of my psychiatric nurse training, think about Eric Erickson's uh, psychosocial developmental stages of development. So uh, the first one is from birth to one-year-old, and it's trust versus mistrust, right? The, the first task of an infant um, to, to navigate successfully is this, this, this um, trust versus mistrust, because as an infant grows, they then we'll see, is their environment, are their caretakers trustworthy? When they have a need, is it met? Um, that's a critical stage of growth and development. And, and babies that are unsuccessful in this, that grow up in an environment where it's difficult to be able to trust, um, grow up and have uh, you know, anxiety and, and other kinds of issues that are, that are uh, based on not having met this particular psychosocial development stage. But that's not what Jeremiah is talking about. All that is to say it doesn't pertain to what Jeremiah is talking about because what Jeremiah is talking about is a mindset, a will set, a heart set. Where do you look for ultimate meaning? In what do you place your ultimate trust? Another way to say that is, what's your North Star? What actually guides your life? Is it yourself? Is it, is it another person? If so, you know, we are fallible creatures. And you will at some point be disappointed or let down. The only place to put that North Star, the ultimate trust, is in God. Jesus was asked once, what is the, the most important commandment of all? And Jesus said, the first and the most important commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To put your trust in the Lord. Because the Lord, when you, when you trust the Lord and you can love the Lord, that will put your roots down deep into the soil and make you much more sturdy when the storms of life come. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. One of the ways that I think that we teach those who are coming behind us are, are through the things that we model for them. Um, and so, you know, we've had some great examples this morning. Baptism, right? Bringing your child up for baptism, Raising them in an environment of the church is a way to help them be rooted in this deep love. Um, I always love when parents of all ages bring their children up here, uh, and it makes the, the parents so anxious, <laughs> which just makes me laugh because, you know, I can watch it from back here when the little ones are kind of, you know, moving around, exploring the area, uh, and their parents are just trying to not do anything about it. <laughs> um, it makes me laugh, but what a witness that is to your child as they grow up. Not only is your trust in the Lord, but that the church is a place that loves them and that they can find love and acceptance. Um, another way is through things like meal grace. Um, and so one of the, the grace that I grew up with and that maybe you did too is, is one, um, the thing is our weekday learning center <clears throat> teaches a number of different graces. And so it's a different experience now when we're around the table because both of my granddaughters go here to the weekday learning center. 
And so Queen Olivia, who's three, almost four, she makes a big production of saying, hmm, which grace shall we do today? Um, whether we're in a restaurant or at our house for a meal, and then, so we've kind of had to shorten. She's wanted to go through all three or four of them at times, um, and we're hungry. But the one that I want to talk about is the one that I learned as a child, and maybe many of you still use, and it's God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. And I love that one because it has great theology in it. Indeed, God is great. God is great. A theologian has said that, that God is that which nothing greater can be thought. That's a, that's a brain-scrambling way to say that. God is sovereign. God is omnipotent. God is so great, we can never wrap our minds completely around who the essence of God is. But that's followed by God is good. Because a, a God who is all-powerful, who is completely beyond us that we could never understand, a God like that, if they are also not good, is just a very scary experience. But God is great, and God is good. What great lessons that is for those who are coming behind us. And then that puts us in the proper attitude because the only thing that we can do when we recognize that God is both great and good is now we thank you. The meal grace, it's for our food, but, but an attitude of, of sense of gratitude toward God, that comes from the sense that God is both great, God is good, and God is worthy of our complete trust. When our trust is in the Lord, when our trust is the Lord, we are like trees planted by the water with our roots going down by the stream, fully nourished. When heat comes, when the times of drought comes, we don't have to be anxious because our roots are deep. The other thing that Jeremiah's verse says, we will not cease to bear fruit. Even in difficult times, we still bear fruit. Jesus talked a lot about trees and fruit. He, he talked in both Luke and in Matthew that that's how you really could know a follower of Jesus is look at the fruit. You know, good fruit won't come from a bad tree. A bad tree won't produce good fruit, vice versa. You want to know if you're following Christ, look at the fruit. Um, and then, of course, the beautiful analogy in John chapter 15 of the vine and the branches. And, and the branches stay tightly attached to the vine, and they bear beautiful fruit. They bear beautiful fruit. I, I think about that when I think about this past Thursday when I got a call from the Atascacita Fire Department, and they said, would you be willing to open your gym just as a dry spot to drop people off after we, if we have to do water rescues. And in my heart, I'm thinking, oh, I heard that before. It was two years ago. Um, and that drop-off space stretched into several days at that time. But I said, of course. But I couldn't get out of my neighborhood. I couldn't physically get to the church at the time. Made a couple of phone calls, and in an instant, it seemed, we had about 15 folks up here ready to show hospitality for anybody who might drop in. We ended up with just one family, a mom and her three kids, um, and that by the time I got there and told her the route that I had come, she realized, 
oh, the water had receded in her area as well, and we had somebody that drove her home. It was a good, a good ending to that. And, but what was the most amazing when I think about fruit are the number of these young families that came up that brought their children with them. They brought their children with them, and their children played. But it, what, an, what a um, witness to the children that this is how Christians behave. And they just brought their kids with them to see that when somebody is in need, you're there and that you can play a part. So how do we raise spiritual redwoods? How do we help those who are coming behind us to be deeply rooted in the trust and the love of God so that they will not be shaken when the hard times come in their own life? Well, first of all, you, you can't pass on what you don't have. You can't pass on what you don't have. And so first look inside. Are you choosing to let your roots be deeply grounded in the trust of the Lord? Are you doing things that help your spiritual practices to help you to grow so that um, you are able to be a living witness to those who are coming behind you? And then talk about your faith. Pray with your children, with your grandchildren, with those that you're allowed to, to, uh, to influence in this way. Um, talk about your faith. Pray with them. You don't have to have all the answers, but tell them real stories. Let them see your own fruit and point out its source. Tell them why you do some of the things that you do. If you give a, a, a dinner to someone who's sitting out, who's begging for money, and you go buy them a Chick-fil-A and you hand it to them, talk about the why why you do that, and the value of people and your love of Christ. And then give them the nourishment that they need. Help their spiritual nourishment be even more important, I think, than their intellectual nourishment through school. You bring them to worship. You send them to Sunday school. You help them learn how to pray. You help them to nourish so that those roots grow deeply um, into God's trust. Our example, our example is Jesus. We will never go through the hardship, the persecution, the misunderstanding, the crucifixion that Jesus went through. But Jesus trusted in his heavenly Father even at the moment of his greatest need and at his death. And we would do well to look at that as an example, and nothing can separate us from his love. You can choose to trust in God. We can choose to raise up a generation that trusts in God. It is the best gift, the best legacy you can ever leave, is a lifelong friendship with Jesus Christ and a deep and abiding trust in the Lord our God. May it be so, my friends. Let us pray. Gracious God, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. Help us, O oh God, to have our roots deep into a trust of you and a relationship with Jesus. And help us to be committed individually and collectively to grow a generation behind us in the great love of you, our Heavenly Father, through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.